Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. So as I uh, share uh, my heart with you in this, um, I would appreciate your prayers uh, for yourself to be a good hearer and for myself to be a faithful uh, messenger. Um, Several years ago, I was at a well-known conference here in Chicago called Moody Founders Week, and I was speaking on one of the nights, and one of the other uh, pastors who was there was Alistair Begg, and we were up in the boardroom at Moody with several of the administration and the president of the school and so on, and we got discussing Romans chapter 9, verse 22, which says, what if God, wanting to make his power known, endured with great long-suffering vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels is people. And we were discussing uh, this matter of hell. Last time we talked about heaven and all the glorious, beautiful things about heaven which are intended to motivate us to run toward Christ. And hell is all that God has in store for those who reject His provision for the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and the message on hell is meant also to motivate us to run toward Christ. And so we were discussing the subject of hell. Again, the verse Romans 9, 22, what if God, wanting to make his power known, endured with great long-suffering the vessels of wrath, the people of his wrath, that he had created, prepared, For the purpose of destruction, it's really a shocking verse. One more time. What if God, wanting to make his power known, endured with great long suffering vessels of wrath prepared to destruction? And I remember saying at the uh, dinner table with these men there, I said, um, there's people in, let's let's all just turn our phones off if we can. We'll just do that one time tonight. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. And so we're sitting at this uh, board table, and I was saying there's people in hell right now. There's people in hell right now. And I'll never forget Alistair Begg quoting the great theologian Charles Hodge, who we'll quote from tonight on this subject. Um, Alistair Begg with his Scottish brogue, we were talking about this reality of hell. I said, there's people there right now, and he said... Aye, but can you say it without a tear in your eye? And I was like, man, I was just like like a knife, right? That this should not be some um, subject about which we can be distant or indifferent, but it is the reality. In fact, Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many people are going that way. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. Only a few are finding it. So with that as a backdrop, I just want to answer these. I'm going to read a scripture, and then I want to answer these questions. Um, What is hell? Um, Definition and purpose. Terms describing hell. All from the scriptures. Terms describing the punishment in hell. And then a little bit about modern objections to hell and implications of hell. Ready? This is as strong as it gets. Let me read the uh, longest passage in all of God's Word. If you would open to Luke 16... So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And if you would go to the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Go to Luke, and if you get to Luke 16, in Luke 16 there's a story beginning in verse 19, and this is the longest teaching on hell. I'll reference it during the message. Here it is. Jesus is speaking. If you're like uh, Nick with a great new Bible, you'll notice that these words are in red. What does that mean, Wally? These are the words of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching. Here's what he said, Luke 16, 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, which is uh, euphemistic for heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. A man in hell, effectively, or what will become hell, looking into heaven. And he, this is Jesus teaching, verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in his like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, just a little comment there. It's hard for us. We're not Jewish people, most of us. Moses and the prophets does not mean Moses and the prophets. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch, and they frequently and casually referred to the five books of the Bible as Moses, the five books that Moses authored. The prophets wrote much of the rest of the Old Testament. So when he says they have Moses and the prophets, he's saying they have the Word of God. They have the Word of God. They have the message already. We don't need to send Lazarus from heaven back to your five brothers. They already have the message. They have the Word of God. Back to the text. Lest they come to this place of torment, but Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, if you will. They have the Word of God. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear, if you will, the word of God, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So with that as a kind of a backdrop here, let's try to answer some basic questions. Uh, what is a hell? Uh, this is a question, by the way, that's impossible uh, to answer as normal questions are answered. For example, if I were to say to you, uh, Nick, what time is it? What's the answer? 
623, what did he do? He referenced a source of information to give the answer. If I were to say to you, um, is that a black shirt that you're wearing? Yeah, but you looked at it. Why? Because you know what black, come on in guys, you know what black looks like, and so you said, that's a black shirt that I'm wearing, but you had a point of reference. Now, um, there is no point of reference, friends, as it relates to hell, or heaven for that matter. No one has been there. So, like the watch, like the shirt, this is our point of reference. That's why we're going to spend the whole time looking at this. This is our only way to answer that question. Now, when you get into discussions like this, I can tell you that this happens frequently. People will say what they think. Well, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a, I don't, what, what does that matter? I mean, that's like a guy telling you what time it is, but he doesn't look at his watch. That's like a guy telling you what the color black looks like, but he has no, he has no reference point. I know what red, Marina, I see you have some red on. I know what red looks like. I know what it looks like with, Patrick has on a red hoodie. I know what it looks like with reference to something. All right? As it relates to eternal truth upon which your soul rests, I would encourage you to be done forever, forever. Someone say forever. forever. I would encourage you to be done forever with it seems to me. It seems to me. No, no, you need a point of reference. We have one. There was one on every chair. Let's all get our eyes on a copy of God's Word. And the first question, as I said, is what is hell? Let's start with the definition. Um, hell is a place of eternal conscious torment is the historic definition. I'm going to take out the word conscious because if it wasn't conscious, it wouldn't be eternal. And if it wasn't conscious, it wouldn't be torment. So we're just going to go with a, hell is a place of eternal. We can almost knock this out. Hell is a place of eternal torment for, who's it for? Some would say for the wicked. For the wicked, right. Some would say for the wicked, but I'm going to say that that's a bit of a mix up because the Bible says that we all fall in many ways. You're sitting in a room full of wicked people. Nobody in this room is any better than anybody else in this room. And the only thing that make, would make you better in God's eyes would be if you had accepted the forgiveness that he offers in his son, Jesus. Paul said that I may, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. There's no good people here, Christians. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? Christians aren't good, just forgiven. Just forgiven. And we all need that forgiveness. So hell is a place of eternal torment for all of the impenitent. Impenitent means not repentant. The people who repent of their sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness are going to heaven. And the people who don't repent of their sin and turn to Christ are going to hell. The vast majority of the human population is not going to heaven. And let me just say that hell is not a laughing matter. Okay? And if you have fallen into, as I confess, at times I have fallen into a flippant usage of the word hell. It must have been because you've completely forgotten what you're talking about. A person who understands what hell really is would never say, what the hell, or hell if I know, or who the hell are you? 
or worst of all, you would never say go to hell to someone. You wouldn't say it to your worst enemy if you understood a fraction of what you were actually expressing. The Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear has heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And the opposite will be entirely true in this place called hell. Now the purpose. Hell is a place for God's wrath to be poured out. John the Baptist referred to hell as the wrath to come. Flee the wrath to come, he said in Matthew 3.11. Paul said, for those who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, Romans 2.8. When he returns, 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, that Jesus will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, um, that's enough of the definition, just a little bit more maybe about uh, the purpose. Um, Hell is a place where God's righteous response to sin is expressed. Psalm 11, Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge and is angry with the wicked every day. You think what's going on in the world angers you? You watch the news and the little political movements and the latest inconveniences and the turning in the economies that threatens a percentage of our income. You think those are the great darknesses in the world? You know, the awful things that are happening in every city, in every county, in every state, in every province, in every country, in every region and continent around the world is happening right now and is all rising up like a stench into the nostrils of God who is infinite holiness, gazes continually upon a river of depravity flowing from the people he created for himself. And the Bible teaches that God's wrath is being stored up. Stored up. Now, we have that. We're made in God's image. Have you ever had the feeling of having something very unjust happen to you and feel like you're kind of storing up? Come on, hands up. How many people have that feeling? I'm kind of storing up what I feel about that. Well, God is storing up what he thinks about this world. Hell is the place where those who reject God. You say, well, I've got, a, I've got some friends. I don't know if they've really rejected God. Let's settle that once and for all. Number one, God is rejected in creation. Okay, if you want to keep your finger in Luke, I'll just show it to you in Romans. Just go to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, it shows how God is witnessed in creation. Romans chapter 1, where Paul says this, verse 18, Romans 1:18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Me living the, look up here, me living the way that I want is me pushing down the truth about God. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The creation is witnessing the reality of God. 
And if you've ever walked through a beautiful forest or stood on a moonlit beach or stared up at mountains that make you feel gladly and gloriously small because you know that you're reduced to your true size in this universe and you felt a sense of awe. That is the creation shouting to you, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. The, the creation itself, the Bible says that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the firmament is showing His handiwork. And this is to think nothing of the solar system and the, and the galaxies and the universe that just blows all of our minds. Romans 1 is saying that that is telling people there's a God. Proverbs says, but the fool has said in his heart there's no God. Because if there's no God, then there's no answering. And I'm the free moral agent. I can do whatever I want. But you also have the second thing. You have creation witnessing to you, and you have conscience witnessing to you. You don't have to teach a little boy that it's wrong to slap his sister. He'll run into the other room before his parents even get there. You, you don't have to teach a little girl that it's wrong to lie about who ate the cookie. She'll break down in tears as soon as you look at her because her conscience is witnessing to her that there's a right and a wrong and a creator and an accountability. We've all had this, and we all know the consequences of suppressing the voice of conscience. The Bible teaches you can sear your conscience. Just like if I were to reach up and, and uh, touch this light bulb and take it out. Well, it'd burn my fingers very badly. But what if I did it again the next week? And the week after that? What if I did it every week for a whole year and you sat here and watched me until you were tired of smelling my fingers burn? Within very short time, I'd say, it doesn't, what? It doesn't hurt at all. And the reason it doesn't hurt is because I would have seared the nerve endings in my finger. And that's what we do to our consciences. The Bible says that we sear our consciences. And you sin against the truth, and you sin against the truth, and I sin against the truth. And I get to the place where I can't even hear my own conscience telling me anymore what's true. That's the fast track to hell, y'all. Just putting on the headphones, nah, 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 nah. And off I go, acting like I'm not going to wake up in the wrong place, acting like there aren't two places that if you are going to the one and many are going to the other. And so we have these witnesses in creation and in conscience and in Christ himself. Titus 2.11 said, The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. And if your conscience isn't seared, and by the way, you can get to the point where it's too late. Just hear me on this. You'll visit a lot of churches before you hear a preacher tell you the truth. You can get to the point where it's too late. You can stall and stiff arm and stuff down your conscience and the message of creation till you'll get to the point where you can't get back. Genesis chapter 6 says, will the Spirit of God strive with all men? Always? The answer is no. And you get to the place where you say, well, am I still at a place? Well, you're not at that place yet if you still care. But if you don't care, this is the reason why it's so delicate with us inviting men over from the house because we want them to come, but we don't want them to come under coercion, but we're very nervous about people who don't give a rip about anything to do with God. That's not going in a good direction. You keep your heart tender. You keep your heart tender to the things of God. Or it could work out, end up very, very badly. Definition of hell, the purpose of hell. Let's get into some terms here. Uh, describing hell. There's four main uh, terms in the scriptures. Just a couple before I get to the main ones. Um, Sheol 
Anybody ever heard of that? Sheol? The belly of Sheol, used 65 times uh, in the Old Testament. It's not the place of hell, but it's the state of death. Uh, into Sheol means into death. Another uh, word is Gehenna. The word Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament. It is the place of idolatry. I've been to Jerusalem many times. I don't know if we have that picture, but I've been to Jerusalem many times, and just outside the Jerusalem wall is a deep valley that goes down, and they used to dump their garbage over the wall through the centuries. And if something was broken down or a diseased animal, they would throw it into this Gehenna place. And I've stood over there and preached over there, and that's the picture that's being used here, that hell is a place of, of death and and decay. But the four main terms are, first of all, Hades. And that's used right here in our, let's go back to our Luke 16. That's used right here in our passage. Luke 16, verse 23 says, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. Hades is... Um, uh, a temporary abode of the unrighteous. In the truest sense of the word, no one is in hell now. Everyone who has died outside of Christ is in Hades. That is the holding place for the unpenitent dead. The temporary abode until final judgment that we'll talk about uh, in just uh, a minute. Um, Luke 16 is not a model of understanding hell. It's just a story that Jesus told about something that was contemporary to that time. The second term is uh, the term uh, hell itself. And this is used many, many times. Let me just uh, read um, a little bit of this to you. Um, Matthew 5, 22, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Matthew 5, 29, if you're I causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better to lose a member than that your whole body should go into hell. And this is used uh, 14 times. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill, kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 23, 33, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Luke 12, 5, fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, Jesus said, fear him. So uh, Hades and hell um, that is the destination, as I said, of the uh, impenitent dead. How many people have seen uh, the movie, um, very common actually, a uh, famous movie from 2007 called The Bucket List? You've seen that? And uh, two terminally ill men, played by Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, take a road trip to do things they always said they'd do before they kicked the bucket. In anticipation of the film's release, uh, Nicholson was interviewed for an article in a parade magazine and began reflecting on his own life. He said, quote, I used to live so freely. The mantra for my generation was be your own man. And I always said, hey, you can have whatever rules you want. I'm going to have mine. I'll accept the guilt. I'll pay the check. I'll do the time. Nicholson said, I chose my own way. 
He said, that was my philosophical position until I was well into my 50s. But he said, as I've gotten older, I've had to adjust. Later in the interview, Nicholson said, we all want to go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, but nobody knows what's on the other side. Nicholson said, that's why we fear death. But it isn't actually death that we fear at all, is it? It's hell that we fear. is isn't death. Very interesting. This is the third term, Hades, hell. This is a real important one. This is called uh, the second death. And I'm going to just turn. You can turn if you want to. Um, keep your finger in Luke 16. But I'm going to go to the last book in the Bible, Revelation. And I'm going to read to you two uh, from that passage. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, says this. It's talking about the end of the age. Verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death in Hades. There it is, Hades. Remember, I told you people are in Hades now. They're not in hell technically now. Death in Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. If you have a pen, you might want to underline that in your Bible. This is the second death. The second death. You know what that's referring to? The second death. I've known this little phrase since I was a kid. I'd encourage you to commit this to memory. It's a good habit to write some things in the back pages or the front pages of your Bible that stick out to you while you're listening. Here's the phrase. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. If you're only born physically, then you will die physically and you will die spiritually in hell. This is the second death. But if you're born physically and you're born again spiritually, you will only die once physically and then you'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Jesus said in John chapter 3, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be what? Born again. Born a second time. Now at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a chance to look into your heart, maybe like you haven't had for a long time, and answer for yourself honestly the question, have I been born again? If you haven't been born again, then all you have to look forward to is the second death. Last week I preached on Revelation 21, where it says, Whereas for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of fire, which is the second death. You don't want the second death, y'all. Born once, die twice. Born twice, say it. Die once. Come on. 
So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.